Hey there, special educator. Before we dive into today's episode, I have something exciting to share with you. If you've ever struggled with writing impact statements for your IEPs, and let's be honest here, what special educator hasn't found themselves at some point staring at a blank box and a blinking cursor wondering what in the world to type? My free guide is just what you need to get those brain juices flowing. Introducing Impact Statement Mastery, your step-by-step guide to writing personalized IEPs. This free guide is designed to help you craft impactful, personalized statements with ease. You'll get expert tips and strategies, easy-to-follow formats, and real-life examples that bring theory to life. It's absolutely free and a must-have for every special education teacher and related service provider. To get your copy, just visit www.spedprepacademy.com slash impact statements, or check the link in the episode description. Now let's get started with today's episode. You're listening to the Sped Prep Academy podcast. Your host, Jennifer Hofferberg, is an award-winning veteran special educator who shares her experience, knowledge, and passion to help other special educators survive and thrive in this profession. Join her and other guests as they share tips and tricks of the trade for the ever-crazy, completely overwhelming, laugh-so-you-don't-cry profession of being a special education teacher. Well, hey there, and welcome back to another episode of the Sped Teacher Small Talk with my co-host, Paul Hubbard. How are you this evening, Paul? I'm doing surprisingly well for as hectic of a day that I had. <laughs> <laughs> what what all went down on your in your day? Well, I have <clears throat> I have several students that are in the it's December, it's might as well be Christmas attitude, and they don't want to do anything and they just want to have fun. And putting them to work seems like the worst thing in the world. Uh, so that's not great. Uh, I have several kids that uh, forgot to take their medicine today, which you know what that means. If you know what that means, if you know, you know, um, it's yeah. definitely a lot. <laughs> that's always a fun uh, time. And I had, I had two. Normally I just get one lucky one, but this time I had two lucky ones uh, that I got to have fun with today. And then mm-hmm. I, I came home to my new puppy had absolutely destroyed their place. They just <laughs> ripped up everything that was rippable. And yeah, so it's been a day, but I feel great. So, you know, it's not, it's not what happens. It's how you choose to accept it. That's right. That's right. It's all about perspective. Well, I guess we're back to spinning the wheel. I think we we talked about everything that we wanted to talk about and brought up different things that were on our minds. So we're just going to get back to spinning the wheel. Is that okay with you? Spin that wheel. It looks like we're going to go with curriculum. And when I put this word on our list, I didn't realize how big of a Pandora's box that might be. So where do you want to go with this? Curriculum is is (laughs) wide open. And I know that there's a lot of um, controversy about different curriculums that special education teachers use, um, whether or not we use a curriculum. Where do you where do you see this taking us, this conversation taking us? Wow. Yeah, that, that is a broad topic. We got, let's see, there is, depends on the level of, of special education. I mean, resource, 
they have like interventions, but I wouldn't say they necessarily have a full curriculum, but you know, I, at least that's my experience with resource. Um, but for like cross category, cross categorical or like home, like full time self-contained, I know that it is the expectation to do curriculum, but oftentimes, uh, other teachers at my school don't do it, um, for one reason or another. And I, I get it. Um, my, my coworkers, I'm the youngest of my coworkers, uh, still. And they, they keep telling me I don't have an opinion until I'm 30, which is one year away. Can't wait. <laughs> um, but, um, they just kind of take the approach of like, well, it's too hard to try to teach a curriculum because there is a lot of unexpected things that happen in the special education classroom, which I will definitely agree with. There's definitely a lot that goes on from day to day and not all of it can be consistent. But if I may, I believe that any, any classroom can teach curriculum if they make it a priority and stick to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree with that. I feel like I've been very lucky throughout my career in the fact that I've never had a specific curriculum pushed on me. There, Our district has adopted curriculum throughout the years, and there's always been a special education aspect to that, you know, whether it's um, extra resources that the district purchases to go along with that curriculum or a, a different curriculum altogether that we're going to use, whether it's in resource or um, our self-contained classrooms. But I've, I've just been lucky in that no one's forced me I've gotten to choose. And I feel like in special education, that's very important because we, every kid's different and every kid needs something different. So if you have a curriculum that's, you know, based on phonics, not every one of your students needs that curriculum. And so we just have, we have to have something though. We have to have something that we're going to follow and we're going to use to help our kids make progress. I don't understand not having a curriculum. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's the approach, like, you, you set the tone for your environment. So if you're winging it every day and coming up with some random teacher pay teacher lesson mm-hmm. that doesn't correlate to the following lesson, which is a different TPT you know, product, eventually you're going to end up uh, with a crazy, chaotic, undisciplined classroom because that's the tone that you're setting. And I, mm-hmm. I, I work with a couple teachers that take that approach and um, it shows, like it shows. There's a reason why they're always in the state of chaos, which it's that it's that thing is like the the long term goal. There is a they did a psychological test on on kids where they had a marshmallow sitting in front of them. And they said, if you wait so long before you eat that marshmallow, you'll get a second marshmallow. You'll get two marshmallows instead of the one. And some kids would eat the marshmallow because it's like, what's well, right there? I can have it right now. Uh, and some kids waited. And basically the the idea of of working towards a reward down the road um is always always the more difficult choice you know to to be like i'm going to set mm-hmm. up, i'm it's really hard right now but i am i am hoping that it will get easier and so for example i just decided well not just decided i have always been of the mind that i am going to follow the curriculum and I'm going to do my best to follow exactly how it's supposed to be, even if it's a gen ed curriculum. What I'm going to do is just maybe go a little slower and provide a lot of supports along the way. But I have done that. And what I've seen is a much higher growth 
in the students at the end of the year. Now, they're not at grade level, but I would be interested to see, you know, the comparison, the the multiverse version of the the me that chose to teach more sporadically and, and less consistently with the curriculum. Mm-hmm. And I would be curious to see the difference in scores. I think that the, the curriculums are created for a reason. There's a scope and a sequence, like you said, that needs to be followed. And when you're just trying to basically piecemeal things together, your your kids are going to miss and th- you're not building on prior knowledge. You're not scaffolding. And I feel like we have to have something as special educators. We have to have something that we're following because we want, just like you said, we want to have our kids make progress and we want to have high expectations for our kids. And if we're not following some type of curriculum, then we're not going to achieve that. Would you think like, what would be your strategy? I know you're not in the classroom necessarily anymore, but what would you do generally? Would you teach closer to their grade level or closer to their ability level when it came to curriculum? On content, I try to stay with their grade level. I try to, I want to teach them the state standards that's at their grade level. And then I'll take that, those standards and go down as far as I need to, to help them be successful. So say I'm teaching math and I want to teach triple digit by double digit multiplication at fifth grade level. And my student is in fifth grade and they want to be doing what their peers are doing. And so I will teach, I will try to teach them those multiplication facts, but I'm also going to teach them a lot of different strategies to be able to do that three digit by two digit multiplication. So I know they I know they can't do it independently, so I'm going to teach them every strategy I can to help them be successful with their peers. I agree. That's that's my approach as well. I I personally think that we take curriculum and we turn it into group rotations. Like we take the curriculum that might be for gen ed, whole class instruction, and we break it up to smaller groups. And special education has paraprofessionals, has additional you know resources, has additional time that can be utilized. And so for, for my classroom, I have two uh, teaching assistants and then myself, and that allows me to do three groups. I can do three groups. And one of them is independent work, but it's just like the person, the go-to person for if there's a question or a technical issue or something's going wrong, just something to keep an eye on it, uh, on the situation. And that works really well. And I have um, each one, each group is valuable. So for example, I teach at grade level in my small groups and it's smaller it's, you know, normally like four max kids. And then I am just going through and I am, some of them, I'm just doing exposure. That's, you know, some of them is just exposure. My lower groups, especially I'm exposing mm-hmm. them to what they should know. So the vocabulary, all that stuff. And, and then I make sure that I model a lot and I make sure that I reteach a lot, which is built into most curriculums. And then one of my TAs is in charge of uh, building them up to that. So like practicing their fluency skills, getting those up, you know, working on that. And then my independent intervention also works on that, but in a more, uh, one of the benefits of like an online intervention is that it keeps track of the progress for you. So they're always working at their ability level. Mm-hmm. So I have my group, which exposes them and introduces them to topics. Fluency group, which kind of helps them. Basically it's like a, a homework helper, like someone sitting down with them, going over these problems one by one and helping breaking it down into even smaller, slower um, practice. And then my other uh, TA runs an intervention on the computer. And that means that they're getting exactly what they need. Um, and the intervention does give me a lot of data points, especially for math. Can't, it's not as easy to do that for reading 
because normally for fluency reading, you have to like administer it, but the math ones, you can uh, have them do like quick sheets of, of the problem that they're trying to practice or whatever. So it works out pretty well in that regard. But since doing that, I just have less problems, less behavior problems, less, you know, freaking out. My kids have built up a resilience to, to work. They are able to work and they're able to add more and more as mm-hmm. it goes on. I, I would 100% say that that is what I did when I was in the classroom. I had a group of students, broke them into smaller groups and supported them through the learning. And we did use in the most recent years that I was in the classroom, we did use online platforms to support. Um, I know that we used iReady, we've used IXL, we've used, um, I can't think of any others off the top of my head, but those online platforms are good to to keep track of the data. Like you said, you have something that, and you can go into those programs and pick out little pieces of where their, where their holes are and what needs need to be filled during that time. You said like when your paraprofessional is working with them, when they can start filling in some of those holes. So I think that's a, a really great way of doing it. And I, I really don't know what another, what another option is. I don't understand having a large, small group that you're trying to do the same thing that the classroom is doing. I don't, I don't see the benefit of that because if, if they could learn in that environment, why aren't they in the general ed classroom learning in that environment? Exactly. Yeah. I, I think that, I think that the default is at least what I've seen is this is too hard. They're not getting it first, you know, first week they try teaching curriculum. They're like, ah, forget it. I'm just going to do interventions. And they're, they're just, you know, always working on interventions, which like there's something to the computer-based learning, but also like you you are a as a special education teacher. I've said this before on this podcast. We are like the special forces of the education field. We we are um, not you know not in the elitist sense, but we are the elite force. We have been trained to take the hardest situation, the most uh, challenging student, and provide them success in the academic world and behavior you know behavior wise as well. And because of that, we should be teaching. It should not be right. a computer doing the work for us. It should be us. We should be doing the primarily, we should be teaching as much as we can. I um, totally agree with that. And I feel like just supporting the kids with, with the homework from the class where, and I'm not saying that you can't do that, but you're, you're still going to be providing some type of instruction. You're not just, you're not just there as a hall monitor you're you need to be teaching and using all of those skills that you mentioned and putting your education to work definitely and i've seen it like i i've seen it many times in the time that i've been teaching that moment where the student gets it the Mm -hmm. the stuff that they they maybe saw in a push out class they're like i don't know i don't know this and but they get it, they understand and and they're getting it. And I thought like I do um, as a support for social studies, sometimes I'll do like current events and we'll watch, we do CNN 10 normally, and then we'll have them, I'll I'll make a vocab or not a vocab, a quiz on like a comprehension quiz on what they understood from the video. And this was for my not push out group for social studies, which are, you know, they're, they can't read, they can't spell, they're, you know, working at a very basic level. I was like, I'm going to make a little multiple choice quiz for 
comprehension because even even video comprehension is still working on comprehension skills and it's probably the best that they will get um at least at my level until we can work up because they don't know how to read they can't comprehend reading if they're not reading like you know we got to work on the phonics skills first but i started out and they were getting like they were getting them all wrong just absolutely every single one wrong and they guess right sometimes and I was like, man, this isn't working. This isn't working. But I stuck with it. I'm like, all right, I'm just going to keep doing it. And I'm going to keep supporting them. And I'm going to, because I know the questions ahead of time, I'm going to, you know, emphasize, be like, all right, listen up. This part is important. And gradually, now it took half the year, but they are acing those tests. These kids that that haven't been 100% on anything are acing tests about content that is for up to high school level. And they are picking up on things and, and recognizing things. And I've been very impressed with that fact. And it's multiple choice. So it's, you know, they don't have to write anything, but um, it's those, those things, you know, there's so many things that when you put consistent effort in, the kids will come around. The kids will, you know, like you set the tone, you set the tone for what your classroom is going to be. And if you are rigorous and expect high expectations, well, you are going to eventually have a classroom where these kids are like, oh yeah, I can do that. I know I can because I do it every day and mm-hmm. I'm able to do it every day. And when I'm frustrated or when I'm upset, I have the confidence in knowing that I'm going to do this one part well, and I'm going to get a good assignment and I'm going to earn a star for my teacher because I did a good job. And it's, that's important. And it honestly makes school becomes fun when you get it. Mm-hmm. And I've seen that. I've seen that switch. I have kids that, that didn't want to do any work. And then now with the, with the quiz, they're like, Oh, can we do the quiz? Can we do the quiz? Because they are so excited about getting it so correct that like, they're, they're getting a, such a good score and it's exciting to them. And I love seeing that excitement because it's going to start to compound into other subjects and other challenges. And, and they're going to start seeing that and they're going to start being comfortable with their intelligence. Mm-hmm. I, I had a kid today. He said he was getting a bunch of math answers right. And he said, I don't know, Mr. Robert, I think I need to go to the seventh grade early. And, <laughs> and that to me just made my day because I knew like he he wasn't confident in answering any questions. And now he's saying, I think that I need to be a grade level higher because I am so smart. And, you know, we're still working on stuff. But that confidence, that motivation, it changes the game for these kids. Yeah, I agree. And I think you hit on something that is the epitome of what a special education teacher should be. And that is to to struggle with something and adjust and find another way to make it work for you. So you said you're watching those videos and they weren't getting it first. Well, you didn't just give up and you didn't just try to find something that was easy to get through the hour with them. You you worked hard. And I feel like I feel like special education teachers need to hear that our job is hard and we have to own that. And we have to realize that we can't give up on these kids. We've got to keep trying and finding different ways of helping them be successful and helping them find those things that are going to make them excited to learn and excited to be successful. Yeah. That's, that's my favorite thing. That's when a kid is excited about learning and into something like that's honestly, I'm like, I have ADHD. So this is kind of a normal thing anyways, but I love rabbit holes. If kids are interested, like find those times when a kid's like, wait, why did that change color? Or wait, why, how does this work? And I'm like, you want to learn. 
I know the answer. This is a subject that may not be this subject right now, but this is a subject that I will gladly emphasize on. And normally I'll follow it up with, hey, we're going to learn about this in science later. You know, so remember this conversation. And the world is fascinating if we look, if we are aware. And I think that something that can sometimes be like the the other end of the spectrum, I'd say, um, is when you stick to curriculum without blinking an eye. Because I don't mm-hmm. I don't think that's a good option either. Because you'll have learning opportunities throughout. Like it could be a, a lesson on interrupting. Maybe the kid mm-hmm. that always interrupts gets interrupted, and it's a time to be like, do you know how that felt? I didn't feel very good, did it? And that's how it feels when you interrupt other people. And those kind of connections can be very helpful for, especially students with intellectual disabilities or or autism. They're able to understand the inverse situation. And then it's like, oh, yeah, I could see that. And I see that mm-hmm. click a lot, too. And th- those are opportunities that isn't in the curriculum, you know, right. and you don't just want to blaze through the curriculum either. You're going to want to slow down. You're going to want to you know, do exit tickets, see where they're at. And um, so, like, there's a there's a spectrum here and it's not, you know, it's not all one or the other. You got to find that that balance, um, which kind of makes you a superstar if you're able to find that balance. Like if you're if you're teaching grade level content to students and it's working and you're making progress and the kids are actually gleaning something, give yourself a pat on the back, because that is that is supposed to be impossible. That a couple of like 100 years ago, impossible but we're doing it and you're doing it right there in your classroom. And those kids are going to be better off because of it. And I could tell you for a fact, that's the case because that was me. I was that way. I was the kid that didn't have any confidence, didn't think he was smart, thought he was stupid and kind of made him made his self-fulfilling prophecy. I thought I was stupid. So I didn't do well on things. But when my, my high school English teacher showed me my paper that was marked up in a lot of red said, you're smart. This was a new perspective on this topic that I had never seen before. I can't teach you that you, you are intelligent. You are so smart. I can help you with this other stuff. That message to me drove me to give a crap about <laughs> learning. And when I gave a crap, I started to be better and better and better. And then I started to be great greater, greater. And then on the teacher end of things, I now am exceptional in certain areas, but it all started with that, that snowball effect of a teacher that believed I was smart and made me stick to that rigorous training and got me from someone who was probably going to drop out to someone who graduated college and is in the middle of his master's degree and has taught successfully for six years in a, you know, in a school system, that is an opportunity that really makes me passionate about my job because I have that opportunity to make that happen. Make that happen for someone else. you, You did it for yourself and now you're able to share those, those stories with your students and put them on that path as well. Well, I think curriculum is, like we said at the beginning, it is huge. And I feel like whether you are self-contained, whether you are resourced, whether you are um, cross-categorical, whatever, you, autism, whatever you have, I feel like you have to have some type of curriculum. And even if you can't make it your own right now, even if you can't add anything additional to it, as long as you have something that you're following, 
I, I think that's the best start for you. And then as you, as you gain your own um, confidence as a teacher, then you can start adding in things and, and making it your own. But definitely I am a supporter of some type of curriculum, whatever it is, whatever your district uses, whatever you have the opportunity to, to have in your classroom, for sure, find some curriculum besides just pulling random stuff off of teachers pay teachers. <laughs> exactly. One last thought before we go. I just, I just have to say, I just have to encourage everyone who is in the classroom. I, I, it's kind of the, I call it the rule of three. And for me, it's, I don't, I do something for three weeks. And if it's still not working, I adjust. I do it one, one week. I expect to go terrible. <laughs> it's going to be hard. There's going to be complaining. There's going to be arguing. There's going to be all that. Week two, I expect to see little snippets of success. And week three, I expect to see a routine lock into place. And if it does, I know that I'm doing something right and I'll keep up what I'm doing. But really encourage you, whatever you try, whatever you're trying to do, don't give up day one, week one, because it's going to be bad. It's going mm -hmm. to be an adjustment. It's like when you're, I, I do a lot of woodworking. When you're lathing a, a board, it's rough at the start, but eventually you get to the point to where each is just a smooth slice. And the more you go into it, the more smooth it gets. And that is exactly like this. It's going to start rough. No matter what you do, it's going to start rough at first. But when you get there, it's going to be beautiful and miraculous what you're able to accomplish. Oh, I totally agree. And I think general education, they start off rough and they get smooth. But in special education, we're starting off with the with just the whole tree trunk and we're just trying to <laughs> yeah, we got we got knots in there. We got we so many things. <laughs> so many challenges, but that's a really good analogy. All right. Well, Paul, this is the last episode of the year. We went a full year of having these little um small talks on a monthly basis and hopefully we'll get back in 2024 and oh my goodness. Start again. 2024. I make I feel so old. <laughs> you do. Yeah. I I it's You're just, 30 yet. I know, but it's it's still hard to see a year that you didn't think was going to happen for a long time here. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yep. Thank you so much. It's always a joy. All right. Yep. Talk to you later. Bye bye. Thanks for sticking with me until the end. I can tell that you are just as dedicated to the field of special education as I am. If you liked what you heard today, I'd love it if you'd head over to spadprepacademy.com slash podcast to check out the show notes and sign up to be notified each time a new episode airs. Go out and have an amazing day and I'll catch you on the next episode.